we've got a lot more work to do here in our state. And I look forward to working together with all of you to get it done. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. That's a good general New Jersey rule. It looks stupid, it is stupid. Screaming at people at gas stations is a New Jersey tradition. New Jersey is worth it. I have to go Jersey on you, and then all of a sudden it starts to get a little ugly, you know? Um... I'm David First. Governor Christie presented his seventh budget speech to the legislature this week. It was the governor's first public appearance since dropping out of the presidential race. And it was a little jarring to hear a speech that, maybe for the first time in several years, was delivered to the people of New Jersey without an additional national audience in mind. It was a speech that perhaps was an indication that after spending so much time out of the state while running for president, Governor Christie was ready to get down to the business of solving New Jersey's problems. Later, we'll be joined by Michael Aaron, chief political correspondent for NJTV, to talk about Christie's resiliency. But here now with analysis of the speech and thoughts about Christie's return to the state is New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. Welcome back. Oh, thank you, David. It's lovely to be in Trenton. Did that sound sarcastic? Uh, not at all, Matt. I know you're happy to be back home from New Hampshire. And uh, yeah, speaking of New Hampshire, the governor started his speech uh, by acknowledging his presidential run. Well, the result was not what I had hoped for. The, maybe some of you, too. Um, <laughs> the experience has made me a better governor. It's made me a better American. And it's made me a better person. I like that he did that. I like, I mean, this was the thought on everybody's mind that he's back from getting a massive drubbing in the presidential race. So I like that he, you know, opened the speech by just sort of clearing the air, laying it all out there and um, making the somewhat uh, dubious statement that he appreciated New Jersey affording him the opportunity to run for president as if New Jersey had any choice in the matter whatsoever. I don't remember being asked. No, you weren't asked. And in fact, because you weren't asked is probably part of the reason why a new Rutgers Eagleton poll came out just before the speech indicating that his favorability numbers are a miserable 29%. That's bad. Well, he's he's out of the race, but he is uh, still Governor Christie. Did you get any sense from this speech about how determined he is to be the governor of New Jersey? I think he is going to, he sounded determined, put it that way. And I was told by a a Republican close to him that he's actually going to, you know, work his tail off to get some of these things he talked about through. That he's going to start doing town hall meetings again. That he's going to meet with editorial boards of newspapers which have been absolutely hostile to him over the last uh, several months during his presidential run. So I I get the sense that he's going to, you know, if he's got 23 months and he's going to try to, you know, make it worthwhile. Okay, so what's he going to be selling? What's the big news for you in this budget? He's going to be selling um, pension reform 2.0. This is the issue that was his greatest success in his first term. He uh, reformed the public employee pension system and their health benefits. Turned out he didn't reform it enough because he never paid enough into the system as he had agreed to do in the 2011 law that he signed. Um, And he spent a good deal of time talking about that today. First, he railed against the Democrats who want to mandate 
quarterly payments that he would have to make into the system. As if an isolated gas tax hike and 79% government-mandated wage increase on our small businesses isn't enough, New Jersey families and businesses continue to face the potential of another economy-killing proposed constitutional amendment, which seeks to divide our state between the government world and the real world. And the second thing he did was uh, push his own uh, 2.0 reforms, and that would be using savings from reforming employee health benefits and cuts to that and plowing that into the uh, pension system to shore up the pension fund. He didn't get into specifics too much. He mostly focused on the rhetoric, as he does, and the rhetoric is dividing public employees from their private worker brethren. The constitutional amendment mandates pension payments and places government workers ahead of every other citizen of the state in our state budget. Divide and conquer is the way he achieved so much in his first term, and that's what he was doing here today. So he was reminding those poor suckers in the private sector that, you know, most of them don't get pensions, that they're paying a ton of money to public employees and their uh, unions in order to give them pensions and health benefits. He cited a, a somewhat startling number saying that the average employee, public employee working for 30 years, puts $126,000 toward their benefits over those three decades and gets $2.4 million out of the system for uh, their annual pension, retirement pension, and health benefits. And uh, he, he's making the point that this is just out of whack and New Jersey can't afford it anymore. And he wants to make even greater cuts than he had done before. He also noted that he is paying into the system or is promising to pay into the system more than any other governor has previously, $1.9 billion. Of course, that's half as much as the law he himself signed in 2011 had called for him to pay. Now, he actually mentioned the Transportation Trust Fund. This is uh, something people have been uh, wanting him to address for years now. But uh, he says the media uh, and legislators shouldn't say that it is in a state of crisis. We're sending, spending the same $3.2 billion this year that we spent last year, that we spent the year before that, and the year before that. $3.2 billion a year on our roads. But you listen to some of you in this chamber and some of the folks in the media, you would think that all spending on infrastructure is stopped, that the state is collapsing. It's ridiculous. Assembly Speaker Vincent Prieto says it is due to run out of money by June. And uh, Christie's own former Transportation Commissioner, Jamie Foxx, said it was in crisis last year. Who's right? Well, we've got four and a half months before we can't pay to fix potholes on the New Jersey Turnpike. So that's what seems like a crisis. But, you know, Christie says that that's the way it is every year. Uh, you know, it's, it's funded up to this point. This is just business as usual. That's the argument he's making, even though his transportation commissioner a year ago was going out, bringing the media out to collapsing bridges and saying we need to do something about this immediately. I don't know how close they may be behind the scenes to coming to a deal. I don't know if part of his negotiating tactic with the Democrats in order to figure out a way for pay for this thing is to just kind of pretend it's inevitable. I I don't understand why he spent so much time arguing against the fact that whether it's a crisis or not. Now, to imply that the TTF is in crisis and is suddenly and unexpectedly running out of money is just a politically driven mischaracterization. You know, I think a lot of us would have liked to have heard what his plan is to work with the Democrats to try to solve the thing. 
it didn't sound like he was uh, reaching out to the hand of <laughs> compromise. Some people in this room want to address the next generation of funding for the Transportation Trust Fund solely on the back of taxpayers by imposing a, hack, a hike on the gas tax without any discussion of tax fairness. That line uh, got a blunt response later from Assembly Speaker Vincent Prieto. We have talked about that from before, and everybody that talks about here that he says that it was only a gas tax, that's, that's not factual, that's an outright lie. You know, because I got to tell you, you know, we've been talking about tax fairness. That word that he said, you have heard it from me. This is the way he does it. You know, he um, he does, I've said this a million times before, he does both the hug and the shiv. So what you were just talking about was the shiv, but he also does the hug. This is the way he always operates. So he was, you know, trashing the Democrats in the room. But during a different part of the speech, he was talking about how we need to work together. And we've worked together many times before. And when we do work together, we get um, great things accomplished. This is what he does. He beats them up, wipes the dirt off their pants and helps them up. And then he knocks them down again and then he picks him up and sometimes that approach works and sometimes it doesn't and uh, th- this speech in that sense was exactly uh, the same style that he's used for the last six years. Matt, uh, Trenton makes and the world takes, the world did not take Christie or at least America didn't. Uh, what's it like for you being back in uh, Trenton? You know, it's not as exciting, not as much of a buzz in the air. There's not cable TV news personalities milling about. It's sometimes hard-pressed to find uh, somebody to tell you something good about the gov. I mean, there was a Republican I was talking to right after the speech who was bothered by the fact that the governor was calling everybody to come and work together. To It's time to get this stuff done and let's work together. We're the ones, the people sitting in this chamber right now. We are the ones who have to make it happen. And she said to me, I mean, what is he talking about? We've been here. You haven't been here. We've been ready to work. Speaker Prieto has been pretty much saying exactly the same thing. He says he wants to work together. We've been here all along to work together. We're not the ones that have been 72% of last year out of the state. It's sort of like the, uh, the star player has missed all these practices and then he shows up for the game and tries to buck up the team and say let's go out there and do it and work hard and everybody's like what do you mean you're not even really part of the team anymore there's sort of a, a negativity toward the governor from all corners that didn't exist in the first term or even when he was running for governor and people were excited about him i mean we talked to uh a governor, former Governor Florio on the way out, and governors often, you know, yield to their colleagues and aren't necessarily, you know, highly critical. And Florio basically was trashing Christie. It's a different world where, you know, very few New Jerseyans and very few people in this building um, have much hope for the governor's remaining time in office. In general, compared to the enthusiasm behind this governor from both sides of the aisle in his first term, um, there's, there's not a lot of that left here. So it's uh, much more dispiriting than it once was and less exciting. New Jersey Public Radio's Matt Katz. His new book is American Governor Chris Christie's Bridge to Redemption. And Matt, uh, welcome back to New Jersey. It's good to be back in Jersey, David. (laughs) 
This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David First. The 2016 presidential race isn't the first time Chris Christie ran for political office and didn't win. He ran for state senate and lost. He ran for a New Jersey assembly seat in 1995 when he was a Morris County freeholder. He lost that race and shortly after lost his freeholder re-election bid. It was a time when he felt he might have been out of politics for good, but Christie has shown a remarkable ability to come back from defeat. Here now to talk about the governor's career and resiliency is Michael Aaron, chief political correspondent for New Jersey Public Television. He has been covering Governor Christie since his days as U.S. attorney for New Jersey. Michael, thank you for joining us. My pleasure, David. The governor lost big in Iowa and New Hampshire, coming in 10th in Iowa, 6th place in New Hampshire, where he spent so much time campaigning. Were you surprised by his collapse this early in the primary? Not really. Uh, He had a struggle all along. From the beginning of the campaign, I would say uh, he was kind of a long shot because of Bridgegate, among other things. Uh, His poll numbers barely ever Uh, went into double digits. I'm sure that it was a great disappointment to him. In fact, I saw it etched on his face up in New Hampshire a week ago. But I don't think it was a huge surprise to many of us. I'm not even sure it was a big surprise to him. Disappointment, but not a surprise. Well, he reads polls. He can see what the Trump phenomenon has done to this race. All along, I thought he showed uh, a certain serenity about his fate in this race. Um, I never saw him really lose his cool or get panicked. He, of course, had his peak performance three nights before he pulled out of the race. He skewered Marco Rubio in debate. He's a very smart guy, Chris Christie. I, I don't know that he was shocked by that result. I mentioned that Christie has failed in quests in the past to win higher office, but this is the first time it has happened in such a public way on on a national stage. How does he come back from this? He is still governor for nearly another two years. It'll be very interesting to see whether he re-embraces his job as governor wholeheartedly or whether there's always a trace of disappointment in his performance on his face. I think the key to coming back is to tackle the problems that everybody acknowledges exist and to tackle them full bore. I I know it's impossible to see into the governor's heart, but do you think that he will feel more free to tackle the problems of New Jersey without having to worry about what Republicans in Iowa might think of a decision? Absolutely. One of my best friends in this business, Nick Acacella of PolitiFacts, the weekly political newsletter, says he looks forward to seeing Chris Christie come back and uh, exact retribution on everybody who didn't help him enough along the way. That's a joke. I don't think uh, we really expect to see that, even if it takes place. I think we'll see him be governor. And, And he always said he loved being governor. He's got two more years of the job he said he loved. If he could get the state humming again, that would be a terrific legacy. You've known Chris Christie since his days as U.S. attorney. Has he changed since then? Has your relationship changed? When I first met Chris Christie, I went to his office in Newark shortly after he became U.S. attorney to interview him. 
for what was then known as NJN. He was so personable and such an impressive speaker, as we've all come to see, that I walked out of there saying to myself and anyone else I was talking to that I think I just met a future Republican candidate for governor. And I've always had a rapport with him. One-on-one, he's fun to talk to. He's engaging. Uh, He's direct. He doesn't seem to have any uh, fake agenda when you're talking to him. Uh, He's not terribly guarded or cautious. So I had an instant rapport with him back in 2002. We don't hang out together, but a couple of times I've been with him privately. There's a degree of candor in that exchange that I appreciate. You've interviewed every New Jersey governor since you started with, as you mentioned, what was then called uh, the New Jersey Network. And was that 1982? That was 1982, yes. How does access to our current governor compare to the access to previous administrations? Chris Christie is uh, less accessible than most prior governors, and that's particularly true of the curtain that he has strung up around the people around him. Nobody speaks for the Christie administration except Chris Christie, with an occasional exception. You might see a DEP commissioner or an education commissioner uh, giving interviews, but you know they've cleared it with the front office. I remember when I started, the Kane administration was full of prominent cabinet officers. Maybe they only seemed more prominent because I was so much younger back then, but they were masters of their bailiwicks, these cabinet officers, and you, you could get an interview with any of them any day you needed them. Uh, That's not true in the Christie era. Christie's done a terrific job of controlling the messaging. They're difficult to penetrate. They're kind of opaque the way they operate. Uh, I think it's not great for journalists, but I think it's probably uh, helpful to them. You think that's helpful in controlling the message to that extent? And it's interesting to hear about how warm and open the one-on-one meetings can be, but how limited they are. And you think that can be good for the administration? Yeah, I don't think he needs to do a lot of one-on-oneing. And he does do a fair amount of it. And the times that I've had one-on-ones with him since he became governor, they've been at his behest. He'll see me at a press conference, and uh, when it's over, his press secretary will walk up to me and say, the governor would like to see you for a couple minutes. And I'd go in, and a couple of minutes would turn into half an hour or an hour. And I remember three times ago, he said, Michael, we're way past blowing smoke at each other. So let's, we, don't, we, don't, we don't need to do that. I appreciated that. Let's just get right to it. Yeah, let's get right to it. That sounds very Chris Christie, I got to say. He, he told it like it was, yes. Oh, that sounds familiar, Michael, telling it like it is. Yeah, I think we've heard that before. I think we're talking about Donald Trump when we say that. <laughs> Michael Aaron, Chief Political Correspondent for uh, NJTV. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, thanks to associate producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christie Tracker Podcast on iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. And you can follow Matt Katz at MattKatz00. That's Matt, K-A-T-Z. I'm David First, and we'll finish today with some gubernatorial math. Let me remind you, 
The election of our next governor is 630 days away. Not that I'm counting. 